this work better? Yeah. Here? Okay. We're going to be looking at uh, Philippians. We're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 1. So if you would like to turn with me to, uh, to Philippians, after Ephesians, from Paul and Timothy, verse 1 starts, if you've got it. This is a letter from Paul and servants of Christ Jesus to all God's people in Philippi who are in union with Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and helpers. So he does a bit of an inversion, he speaks, addresses it to everybody and then includes the leaders in that. Usually we start with the leaders. Paul also here doesn't mention his title as an apostle, he just says that they are servants or slaves of Christ Jesus. Verse 2, May God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace. I thank God, my Father, for you every time I think of you. And every time I pray for you, I pray with joy because of the way in which you have helped me in the work of the gospel from the very day first until now. And so I'm sure that God who began this good work will carry it on until it's finished on the day of Christ Jesus. You are always in my heart. And so it is only right privilege that God has given me, both now that I am in prison, and also while I was free to defend the gospel and establish it for me. God is my witness that I, uh, that I tell the truth when I say that my deep feeling for you all comes from the heart of Christ Jesus himself. I pray that your love will keep on growing more and more, together with true knowledge and perfect judgment, so that you will be able to choose what is best. Then you will be free from all impurity and blame on the day of Christ. Your lives will be filled with truly good qualities, which only Jesus Christ can produce, for the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, my friends, that the things that have happened to me have really helped the progress of the gospel. As a result, the whole palace guard and all the others here know that I'm in prison because I'm a servant of Christ. And my being in prison has given most of the believers more confidence in the Lord, so that they grow bolder all the time to preach the message fearlessly. Of course, some of them preach Christ because they are jealous and quarrelsome, but others from genuine goodwill. They do it out of love because they know that God has given them the work of defending the gospel. The others do not obtain Christ sincerely, but from the spirit of selfish ambition. They think that they will make more trouble for me while I'm in prison. It does not matter. I'm happy about it. As long as Christ is preached in every way possible, whether from wrong or right motives, and I will continue to be happy because I know that by means of your prayers and the help which comes from the Spirit of Jesus Christ, I shall be set free. <coughs> my deep desire and hope is that I shall never fail in my duty, but that at all times, and especially right now, I shall be full of courage, so that my whole being I shall bring honour to Christ, whether I live or die. For what is life? To me it is Christ. Death then will bring more. But if by continuing to live, I can do more worthwhile work, then I'm not sure which I should choose. I'm pulled in two directions. I want very much to have this life and be with Christ, leave this life and be with Christ, which is a far better thing.
And for your sake, it's much more important than I remember. I'm sure of this. And so I know that I will stay. I will stay on with you all to add to your progress and joy in the faith. So that when I'm with you again, you will have even more reason to be proud of me in your life in union with Christ Jesus. Now the important thing is that your way of life should be as the gospel of Christ requires. So that whether or not I'm able to come and see you, I will hear that you are standing firm with one common purpose, and that with only one desire you are fighting together for the faith of the gospel. Don't be afraid of your enemies. Always be courageous, and this will prove to them that they will lose and that you will win, because it is God who gives you the victory. Amen. For you have been given the privilege of serving Christ, not only by believing in him, but also by suffering for him. Now you can take part with me in the battle. It is the same battle you saw me fighting in the past. And as we hear the one, I am fighting still. Somebody asked the uh, good question um, of this morning and saying, aren't we a bit obsessed with this sin business? Uh -huh. We're always on about sin. Uh, and isn't the gospel a bit more than constantly dealing with sin and digging up sin? I think there's so much validity in what we said. We've stated a number of times when we started and said uh, the church is a healing community that we started off by saying that the church is actually world. Um, Matt reiterated this morning the church is world. And in as much as we are part of the world, we are in need of healing ourselves. Um, but can it be that we become so obsessed with, with our own sinfulness that we actually again miss the point? I think it can actually happen quite easily if we start focusing our attention all onto ourselves. If we miss the concept of grace, and grace does two things. Grace shows us who we are in our brokenness and our fallenness in need of healing. But grace comes to us in the message that we are held and that we are saved and that we have received mercy and that we have received God's love. So in a sense, we speak of our, our fallenness, our need of healing, our brokenness, not in the context of condemnation, but in the context of salvation. That we dare to face our brokenness only because we have been forgiven. In some sense, it's only the Christians who have experienced the fullness and abundance that we have in Jesus that can risk looking in the mirror. If we do not have the, the assurance that God will forgive us, why would we ever contemplate confessing our sins? Our natural desire is to run away from it. To run away from acknowledging it in ourselves and running away from acknowledging it before God. And if it's just a matter of, of standing before a holy God that's going to judge us, then we should be running away from it. But there's something about the fact 
that Christians can risk being open to God, to themselves, and to the others, that we are fallen and broken. But we can only say I'm fallen and broken in the light of the message of who I am in Jesus as well. And that's probably the danger, is that if we only stop at the message that we have been, that we are so bad, and we never see what we have become in Jesus, that we, we can start walking around as people with really sour faces and, and have a ton of cramps and, and, and sort of have this darkness that we pull over ourselves. And said of a, of, a, of a guy that his expression was like that of a Scottish Presbyterian pastor who had the look that he feared that somewhere someone may be having fun. <laughs> but this kind of idea that we wallow in our darkness <coughs> and look away from Jesus and the newness that is offered. And so when we speak about a healing church, we speak about the church in whom Christ's Spirit is at work, that He is doing a work of transformation. And it's true that God can only transform that in which we have uh, become exposed, in which we acknowledge, Lord, this needs transformation. And so, in the church we will always be busy with sin. But we will be busy with sin because we have the vision of who we are and who we have become in Christ Jesus. That in Jesus we are already made holy. And so our, our process of living the Christian life is not trying to become holy, it is accepting that in Jesus I am holy, but also accepting that in myself there are all these broken pieces, and that there's a disjunction between the two. And yet, I may not ponder upon myself too long, I've got to look back at this glorious statement of who I am in Jesus. But who I am in Jesus is so abundant that it exposes me in my own personal bankruptcy and I can only be thankful. Lord, I, the broken sinner, I am holy in you. Amen. And so, uh, in this uh, letter of Philippians, Paul starts off with this concept of grace, but he does it in a, in a context of thankfulness for what God has done and is continuing to do in the lives of these people. So we, we are aware of our brokenness that leads to thankfulness, that leads to humility, as uh, Matt has spoken of today. Humility is always a byproduct, isn't it? So um, we, we can never, how do I develop humility? It's a difficult thing to do. <coughs> I can try and get up humbly in the morning. <laughs> But how do you, we just can't do, humility has to happen. It's a byproduct of grace. It's a byproduct when everything else has been stripped 
from underneath me when I'm held by God's mercy. And so, our talk of sin is to make us excited of Him who holds us despite. Of Him, him in whom we have been transformed. In whom, in whom we are sure that our transformation will be complete. Uh, Paul writes in Philippians that he who started this good work in you will continue it until the day of Christ and you will be perfect and pure and holy. And so it's out of this understanding that what we have is in Jesus that allows us to be authentic and real about who we are in and of ourselves. And as you all said, and, and, and it was really wonderful, the depth of the answers and things that uh, when, we, when Matt asked certain questions, is that um, when we look at what we have in Jesus, that it is the miracle of hope that he gives us. So when we look at ourselves and our fallenness, we, can, we must look away from it. Because that's the big, the big problem, isn't it? That we can become a little bit too focused on ourselves and the work that we are doing. And Paul says here, he speaks about the fact that these guys in Philippi, he says, God has started to work in your lives and he has shifted you and given you a focus beyond just yourselves, a focus on the on the ministry that goes beyond. You've been become participants with me in the work that I'm doing. And you've set up a bigger purpose and a goal for you that you are involved in. And again, this is, this is the miracle of what, what Christ is doing to take us out of ourselves and give us something beyond just my own personal life. Uh, there's a lot of counseling happening if we, uh, the counseling course at BBC is a very, very popular course. Um, a lot of people want to become counsellors. Now there are a whole lot of reasons why people become counsellors. Usually the first reason is, is that they, they know that they have got a lot of hassles in their own lives. Um, so never trust a psychiatrist. Um, but that's a good thing, if I can be aware of my own hassles. But so, somehow, sometimes people want to, learning about how to help others, actually looking for things in themselves. But there's also a motivation for wanting to be part of a healing work of counselling in, in uh, because it is something um, powerful, in a sense, to become someone that can help other people. It leaves, the, it puts the other one at your mercy. You, you, you are in control and you are the wise one. And you are the one that gives direction to the others. And so when somebody asks you for your advice, it's a big compliment. And to be able to speak into somebody's life does give you that little bit of oomph kind of thing. So um, it can be thing that kind of strokes our egos a bit. And so we, there's not a dearth of, of people wanting to um, 
counsel others in the church. I'm sad often about the fact that we've got so many professional Christian counselors. Now I know that there's a good thing about uh, when people give their, all their time that they've got to have a living out of that. But there is also a place that um, it's kind of, I will, I will listen to you and care about you if you pay me. That makes it a bit of a kind of a dangerous thing. You know, pay me something and I'll give you half an hour to um, that kind of thing is a bit dangerous. And one would expect in the church where often people want to, to just share with somebody and, and be vulnerable to somebody that we as a community will be much more open, open to just listening and caring and taking time with each other and building the kind of relationships where people feel that they can trust and can unload a bit. That's just a little. But I, uh, I'm not knocking the fact that when people give, submit their whole lives into this ministry, that, that others can say, we want to sponsor you and we want to make it possible for you to, to invest in people's lives in this way. That's also good. But it doesn't take the responsibility for us in the church to care for each other by listening to each other. I, but I preached the other night at, at the Sundays at 6 and, and and said that it's actually the one step up from counseling people in the church is actually to rejoice with people. It's much easier to help someone when they're down than to take the light when they succeed and you have it. Yes, yeah, some of these guys that are preaching the gospel forces in the church, actually they're motivated by jealousy. They, they, they're doing the stuff, but, but they actually, they've got the wrong motivation, the wrong ambition. They, they're not taking the light of the forces in the other hand. You know what? I don't care. As long as they're preaching Jesus, that, that's fantastic. But there is sometimes something that we make it all about ourselves, isn't it? And that we that when others succeed in the church, uh, when others receive the glory, that something starts in my heart that says, oh, why? Why her? Why do they notice? Why do they thank him all the time? And that what I do, nobody ever notices. Why, does, why do they think that so-and-so is so wonderful? And we can be quite we can be quite wonderful. We can even when someone says, wow, that was a fantastic thing that this guy did, we say, yeah, it's really good. It's just a pity. Yeah. <laughs> we just put in that little bit of poison on the side, don't we? So, uh, and so our life as a, a church is not to take the light in the abundance and the newness that God works in the other. But a healing church is a church where our focus shifts away from ourselves to the other in Jesus. And this is what Paul says. He says, uh, I love you, the love that I have for you actually comes from the heart of Jesus himself. And there's something to dare to look at the other person through Jesus. 
how Jesus takes delight in what's happening in that person's life. When it's just stroke between me and you, then it's a competition. But to actually believe that Jesus has done something new and remarkable in you, that he has made you holy, to have a vision for all you can be, to take delight when something positive and good breaks through into your life. As Nicholas said, that's the motivation that drives our confrontation. Because I care deeply about who you are and who you have become in Jesus and all that you may be and should be in Jesus. Because I take delight in you. And so when that starts happening in, in our church, that we that we don't try and do it without a vision of Jesus. We are exposed in our brokenness, but we have been made new in Jesus. As Victor said, we have the assurance of salvation that we don't have to build up and earn something, and therefore we can be who we are. And we have a vision for each other as we look at each other through the eyes of Jesus. Which means that if we start in the church and we look at the way things are, we will always have many reasons for despair and doubt. We will often want to give up. We will often say, this one is just too so-and-so. And yet there's this glorious note of rejoicing. Uh, Paul's an interesting guy. All his letters starts with giving thanks to God. Some places, when he talks to the Corinthians, he actually can't really find anything to thank God for. That's happening in their lives. He says, I just thank God for all the gifts he's given me. So, <laughs> he's giving me the gifts. Uh, I can't really see much in your of the stuff that's working to you. But I find a reason to thank God. A, a reason that's positive. And when we speak about a healing church, it is this vision of the fact that God, this is God's body, this is God's work, this is the vision that God has given His people that He will do and complete through them. And these are the people that are loved by Jesus, that are meet beneath the cross. And for whom I can give God thanks and rejoice about what God is doing. So I don't think of the church as this body of people, but I've got to think of them only again in the light of Jesus. Now, Jan told me a nice story um, yesterday. I think actually you can come tell the story. Come tell the story about this uh, rather upset person who phoned you. I received a phone call one Sunday afternoon, actually Monday, 
of a lady that was in church and she was upset about many things. And she said, I want to talk to you about what happened on Sunday. And I said to her, you know what, I wasn't at church on Sunday, so I'm the last person you should speak No, 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 I want to talk to you, I want to tell you what happened. I said, but you, you really shouldn't speak to me because I wasn't at church. No, but so and so did this, I said, hang on, hang on. And she just kept on going on how bad the service was and about the people was and everybody did everything wrong. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I, I just kept this building up and I said to her, if you just stop for a moment, J just tell me, did anything positive happen in church? Was Jesus there? Did they talk about him? Did they do something that was positive? And she kept quiet for a minute and she said, I guess so. And uh, I said, but I think, you know, you should look at it differently. And I started talking to her and the next moment she puts the phone down. And I, oh, I'm so relieved. I'm a bit upset, but I'm relieved because now the, you know, the conversation's over. And my wife is here in the kitchen and she's listening and she's you need to call her back. <laughs> and I said, really? She said, you need to call her back and sort this thing out. So oh. I pressed the dial or whatever on my phone and I got her back on the line. And I said, you know what? Something strange happened. We, we on the phone and we really had bad connection. And I was still speaking to you and the line went dead. And she said, no, no, I didn't. I put the phone down. <laughs> I said, yeah, that was really rude of you. And I just felt, you know, I need to speak to this. I said, that was really rude. Why did you do that? She said, oh, you know what? The conversation didn't go the way I thought it would go. And I realized, you know, what the problem was. So the Holy Spirit just, just gave me wisdom. And I said, I think I need to pray for you. So do you mind if I pray for you? And she said, no. And then I prayed for him. I said, Lord, you know, just help, help so-and-so to get over this and to be more positive and to see the goodness. But I think sometimes we can get carried away by people that that wants to speak bad about other people. And we in our church and in the leadership have decided if anybody comes to you and they want to talk, if they come to me and say, you know what, I want to talk to you about Victor. I said, well, that's great. Let's get him here so that you can talk. No, 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 no. I want to tell you about it. I said, no, no, I don't want to listen. I want Victor to be here and then we can talk. And it's funny how they then have nothing to say. <laughs> so you really need to cut it off because it's so easy to say, oh, yeah, tell me about it. And then it starts. So as a church and as healing, if we, if we want to do it, it's got to come from each one of us. So if somebody comes to you and says, have you heard or, you know what, Roger did. I said, no, I don't. So let's call him in, let's hear what he did. And then all of a sudden they say, uh, all right, now, and they'll talk about something. So we need to do the healing. So that's a, that's a good example, I think, of, of being able to have a, a, a positive attitude, a, an attitude of, of looking through the fact that Jesus was there. What does Jesus do? Amongst all the faults, amongst all the mistakes, amongst all the wrong things, what is Jesus doing? in that situation. To um, to find to find the positive within something to praise the Lord for. Something to thank God for. Instead of 
being part of the inner part of the church to tear down, to criticize, to break down, to bring disease, to bring healing. I remember um, at what you were always going to say this week can be hypercritical about the church, you know. I know when I was studying all this church full of hypocrites and blah blah blah. I was out there in a Christian rock band and we were doing the real stuff and all those Christians in the church and so on. And um, then I got challenged to say, well, what about every time we say something negative about the church or about somebody in the church, that you pray the same amount for them? Now, that didn't improve my prayer life, but it stopped my criticizing. <laughs> Because suddenly, prayer's kind of like hard work. So, so I've got to pray for this guy. I'd rather stop. Uh, but it's in this kind of, of people that, that, I, that I encounter. How do I see them in the light of Jesus and his future for them and what he's doing and what is my investment in prayer for them? When, when the guy comes and, and, and the sermon's not working, um, do I think, ah, oh, he's wasting my time, or am I really praying for him? Is, am, I, am I really invested that if he fails, I'm failing? That, that I'm bringing him before the Lord, and I'm, I'm so grateful for, for what God is going to do in his life. And, and even just um, not allowing myself that ability to accuse the other and hold them up in their guilt, and wrongdoing. Um, I once, when, when we were doing a television programs, I think I told the story in church maybe, but um, at one stage we were trying to get um, a production, or make productions for broadcast TV that they would buy stuff from us. And there was a guy in the religious department the South African Broadcasting Corporation. Every submission I put into him, he just sent back, no, no, no. And then one morning, I got a phone call that said, please come and, please come and see me. I've sent him a submission on AIDS, Christians and how do we respond to AIDS, which is breaking out at that stage. And I was so excited, and we moved out 40 kilometers, two towns, and I got in the car and I drove over. And it was exciting. Everybody was praising the Lord. Finally, we got a breakthrough, not just a rejection slip. And I got to his office and he said, sit down. And uh, he said to me, what makes you think that I would be so stupid to give such an important topic to somebody like you to do? And that was it. <laughs> he said, you can go. And I walked out and I was so furious. I was so devastated and furious. And, I, and, and we're doing, we've got this faith ministry and we're working for the Lord. And, and this guy comes and blocks everything. So I, I went back and we had the, the guy of Murray Lowe from a mission organization. We were doing some recordings for him. And I got back to the place where we were at the studio and I said to him, and I told him all about this. 
And I was, I was so furious. And he said, let's pray about it. And so I said, yeah, let's go pray. So we said, go down to pray. And he starts praying. And he prays. He starts blessing this guy. <laughs> he blesses him. He blesses him. I think he ended up blessing his dog and his cat. <laughs> he just went on and on. And once I opened my eyes, I'm kneeling there, I'm opening my eyes, I said, Man, are you stupid? Didn't you understand? <laughs> He's this guy who's blocking God's work. And he just kept on blessing. And when he finished his blessing, he said, oh, man. He didn't pray one thing for God to sort this guy out. He just said, Lord, we thank you that you've placed this guy in this wonderful position. And we just pray that you will continue to use him. <laughs> man, this is way out stuff. <laughs> By the way, you went outside <coughs> and said, Amen. I, I just sort of said, Yeah, Lord, well, thank you. <laughs> that was about all, which is kind of fun. Um, because I, I wanted God to be moving. <laughs> Possibly it's by a lightning strike. Preferably <laughs> <laughs> by a lightning <laughs> So, something had to shift in my heart. It's actually interesting that a week later, I think a week or two weeks later, I got a phone call from that same guy. He said, oh, I've, I've got a project that I'd like your company to do, come and do for us. Which was just interesting. That's kind of strange coincidences that happen sometimes. But what it says is this attitude of rejoicing. So in Philippians, it's all about rejoicing. Um, that I rejoice in what God is doing in your life and I'm and I'm calling you to a place of rejoicing. And even when things go wrong, to be seen that in the light of opportunities rather than catastrophes. To have a, to have a church, uh, as we've spoken of, hope, that care, that can confront, but also a church that when, when, when everybody else sees a catastrophe that we see, this is a place where God in his power and mercy can move and make a difference. So when we see Jesus, we see him in his glorious commitment to the world and that pushes our attention on a, on a focus and a vision much greater than just ourselves. It, um, it makes us participate in something beyond ourselves. So the healing church. <laughs> the healing church is the church that has been healed in Jesus. The healing church is the church that starts off from the perfection that we have in Jesus. The healing church is the church in amongst our own brokenness that nevertheless has the Holy Spirit. The healing church is the church that God will never give up on. The healing church is the church where God calls us to love 
and out of love prioritize what is really important and what is not. What's worth making a fuss about and what's not. What's going to make the difference in eternity and what's not. It is a church gripped by Jesus. And only as we are gripped by Him and His vision and the big thing that is on about that these little things fall by the wayside. And so we, each one of us, are called to be who we are in Jesus, live out of Jesus. A focus on Jesus. Yes, Philippians got a little bit there about two women fighting with each other. We always can have two women fighting with each other. <laughs> Sometimes women as well. I'll give you that. possibility for friction and irritation and for those very things that's why we need the spirit of gentleness, care, compassion, love that can overlook and cover multitudes. But the healing church is the church of Jesus. Church that will stand in perfection at the glorious coming of our Lord. The church that has been made new and perfect. And God will complete the work He has started in you. Hallelujah. Okay. Any comments or questions? I just remember something in, um, I don't know where it is, but um, you know when he says to the Pharisees, rip down your church, and they say it took us 46 years to build that church. He said, well, I'll build you a new kingdom, I'll build you a new church in three days, and that yeah. was his body he was talking about. Yeah. That was so amazing when we said that. Mm-hmm. And that's that resurrection. Power of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that when he said the... Um, Church of Jesus, and they just re- just re- that's it in a nutshell. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I, I've also um, just uh, noted now from Gina that your next semester you're going to be writing a book about Christians living in a rebellious world. Yeah, that's right. Mm. In Hebrews, the tension that we're in, uh, Hebrews 10 and 14, because by one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. Yeah. That's us. We are in Christ, we are perfect. Here, we've still got some work in need to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. The Philippians says work out your salvation of fear and truth. Is that, is that like a Holy Spirit thing? 
Yeah, we all exist uh, trying to understand threats, but I think that the best example if you tell them that you are actually loved, they understand that must be grace. Jesus is grace. So if you, if you tell them, if they know you well enough, they know you can be saved, that must be grace. Yeah, no, I'm 100% sure I'm saved. And I think, goodness gracious, God's got a low standard. actually all about Jesus. Very high standards, but yeah. No, you're right. Um, we, but we all resist grace all the time. I think the biggest problem is the Christians, us and ourselves, hate grace. That's why we want to do all the religious stuff to need less grace. We want to become nicer and better. So. There's somebody else that I hand up. Can I have a hand up that says, is it tea time now? <laughs> I think we're going to stop. Um, let us ask uh, Chad to close for us. Dear Lord, sorry that we do resist grace, Lord, and we uh, may have seen you, Lord, and what you've done, but we try and throw off that blanket of grace and and, uh, and really just uh, become religious people, Lord. I pray that uh, you can show us where we're doing it and correct our ways and uh, just open our eyes to see what we have in you and uh, reflect that to us, Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, now... Uh,